Word at Work from Fertility Matters at Work is a conversation about fertility and how it affects people at work. You'll be hearing from our community about what they experienced whilst trying to build their families, as our aim is to help you better understand this issue by sharing these stories. We also share our insights as we're now two years into doing this work. Plus, we're talking to the trailblazing organisations who are making these cultural changes the norm, as well as bringing you thought leaders from the workplace wellbeing space. I think what people need to not be is don't be scared about writing about this sort of stuff because actually you'll have people in your organisation who have gone through it, who are going through it and who potentially will go through it or know somebody and they can add so much value to that guidance or that policy document. Becky and I have seen documents written by standalone HR and they don't quite hit the right notes because someone's trying to be in a professional space and writing it as you would a corporate policy and I think it's really important to understand the issue. This is so exciting. Welcome to another episode of The F Word at Work and I'm delighted to tell you that I have my fellow co-founder as Becky and Claire with me and every single one of us has a microphone. So just Yay. just say hello and let's hear how wonderful we all sound all mic'd up. Hello. I don't know how wonderful I sound because I'm full of cold, but at least the microphone's working. You sound clearly snotty. Yeah, thanks. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not clearly snotty, but I'm hoping I sound better than I usually do. You sound wonderful. So this episode is landing with you during Fertility Week and there's likely to be a whole lot of information flying around your social media that you're trying to read and watch and listen to and we're fully aware of the information overload but we were really keen to get a podcast episode out this week because it is it's a huge week in the fertility calendar we speak to organizations all year round highlighting that this is an all year round conversation however this is a week where the fertility conversation gets lots of attention and one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about is a piece of activity that we've done specifically for this week because in the work we do at Fertility Matters at Work whilst we do a whole host of education around awareness raising on the topic and encouraging companies to put peer support in place we support them with policy and guidance development. We are very keen to say that we don't want policy for policy's sake. We want there to be all sorts of things surrounding that policy. However, we know that people look for policies when they're trying to understand what they have access to in terms of support. And so what we have done that is launching this week for Fertility Week is we've created some guidance on what an ideal policy should look like because in case you didn't know both Becky and Claire are HR professionals and we're very proud of that fact. How many years service have you got the pair of you? Decades. We always say over 35 years but we started that when we first started so I'd say probably over 37, 38 years now. <laughs> Claire's still in the thick of it in HR. I I've still am. way to do this. How many letters have yeah, you got after your name when it comes to HR Claire or are they before your name? Oh my God. Well, this is just, this feels a little bit egotistical having this conversation. I don't really like I once had a pen pal who went to Eton and when he wrote his name to me, it had letters after his name and I was like, what are the letters? And he basically said to me that he'd been taught, whatever they meant, I don't know, he was probably about 13, but he was always taught at Eton to include the letters after his name. So, you know, he started young. So, Come on, have your moment. I've got CIPD. five letters, which is Fellowship of the CIPD. So I'm a And you just recently got in, a new in... ranking. Yes, and that was my next level. There's one level to go. So I'm hoping this work can get me to companion. That would be absolutely amazing. 
um, over the next five years. So yeah, there's just one more level, but it's very hard to attain that. So oh, I won't hold on. my breath. What, what, what does that mean though for your fellow HR professionals that are listening in terms of your standing? It's just you have different levels of membership according to your hate, your HR profession and experience and what job you do and what you've given to the profession. So it's it's a bit more complicated than that in terms of there's a, there's a profession map. You have to show different behaviours and skills across that profession map in HR. But we're impressed. Yeah. Why don't you sound why don't you I sound don't impressed with say. yourself about it? Because I just I don't like the the letters thing. The letters thing does it not mean you get more ick. followers on your LinkedIn? <laughs> okay, no, I doubt. I, I don't think so. I did put it on my LinkedIn though, but I'm, I'll I'll leave it up there for a little bit and I'll probably take it back down again. It's not really my thing. You know, like some people sign B A M A P G Dip. You know, that some people do that. Sorry if you're listening and you do do that, but I just it's not for me. It's not a person. It's someone that's something I don't like. Well, really. I'm I'm kind of saying all this in jest, but we are very proud of you, and I think it really adds gravitas to the work we do in terms of the support we're giving organisations. So I want to hand over to the pair of you in how we've gone around developing our ideal policy guidance that there'll be a link in the show notes if you're on our socials or you're on our mailing list you might already have heard about this but in case you haven't please do check out the show notes so that you can download it and and hopefully utilize it because what we hope from fertility awareness week is when it comes to the workplace conversation if you have been thinking we need to do something and don't know where to start an action is better than no action. And and if this is a starting point for you and it gets you thinking, and you know, if you want to talk more with us about the work that we do to support you in implementing this conversation in many different ways, because it isn't a one size fits all, even though we've evolved what is proving to be a really effective methodology and how we support organizations, you need to start at the the right place and the right point for your organization. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to you first, Claire, because I know policy is your thing with all those letters after your name. What were we trying to create in what we are sharing with people so I guess for me with with both my HR hat on and former fertility patient hat on at the same time because I kind of had to interchange between the two when I was going through this that was my first port of call um to check what I could have or to check if it was talked about in work and it wasn't so so there was a gap there and that was seven years ago that this is still a quite a big gap um in our workplace conversations and we wanted to just give people a bit of a boost up in terms of their knowledge and where to start. Because what, what happens with policy or guidance development, you know, if you're listening to this, it doesn't have to be a policy. It doesn't have to go through 101 different bits of red tape to get anywhere. This is just about having that real honest conversation with your employees to say, we hear you, we validate you, and, and this is what we can help you with. So it's not a very corporate um, setup, what we've pulled together. We want it to be as fluid as possible. And we want organisations to put their own stamp on it, their own voice, their own culture. So we've just given a, a loose framework of what good looks like and what things to consider. And maybe some of our statistics are included to make sure that people understand how big this conversation actually is. As well, from my kind of putting my HR hat on, and putting my fertility patient hat on, it's like key for both people who's involved in this, whether it's the manager, whether it's the HR professional, um, or whether you're going through this yourself. If that first touch point of the policy isn't there or isn't relevant for you, isn't inclusive of what you're going through or doesn't reflect or validate what you're going through, that's your first 
reaction, isn't it, from mm. the organisation? That's that indication. Will they support me? And do I feel safe to be able to share and disclose? And so it's so important to get this bit right, because if you don't, people might then close back up again. And it's often that thing that people will look for. And so we talk about accessibility. How easy is it to find? Really put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's going through a fertility journey, whether that be someone who's just been diagnosed like myself with early menopause and told I've got to go through this right now and do everything really quickly. Or it might be someone who's coming to this who's been trying for one, two years already. It might be someone in a same-sex couple who has always known that they need fertility treatment, but now they're coming to a point of doing it. Are they included? Or it might be someone who's going down that route of becoming a solo parent and thinking, oh, is this relevant for me? And if you think about all of those different scenarios there, it's really important within these policies that it's so inclusive so that we're not just talking about couples when you might have people doing it solo. We're not just talking about women. We're not just talking about heterosexual couples who are going through this. We're we're reflecting the broad nature of this. And I think that's what we always try and get across, that this isn't just a one size fits all. There's a lot of nuance and lots of people that needs to be reflected and included I think what people need to not be is don't be scared about writing about this sort of stuff because actually you'll have people in your organization who have gone through it who are going through it and who potentially will go through it or know somebody and they can add so much value to that guidance or that policy document Becky and I have seen documents written by standalone HR and they don't quite hit the right note because someone's trying to be in a professional space and writing it as you would a corporate policy and I think it's really important to understand the issue but also I understand that people writing these policies may not be close to the issue, which is why you then reach out and ask for help. So just going to get you to elaborate a bit on that. We've now been in this space a couple of years and we've been looking at a lot of policies and a lot of guidance documents. And Becky, you just mapped out their brilliant action points on on what to be thinking about. What are we seeing people are getting wrong? I think what Claire said about when it is solely led by a HR professional, I think the best policies that we've seen, or and I actually want to note here that we're not just talking about policy, we're talking about guidance as well. It can be one or the other or both. I think as long as there is something in writing that guides people through this, whether it's a formal policy or not, but having somebody with lived experience involved in writing this, getting the tone right, putting themselves in the shoes of that person reading it, is vital with this. Um, we've had some instances where that hasn't taken place. And and what we've found with our member organisations is that we've had to give a lot more feedback around that. And the, the warmth, the feeling of compassion and empathy hasn't really come across. It's just been very cold, very formal. Um, and there will be an element of people wanting to know what am I entitled to? How do I get it? But also, I think because this is such an sensitive topic that has such an impact to people's emotional well-being and mental health it's so important to do this in a careful measured way um so that it's that equal balance of information but also compassion Mm. as well it needs to be holistic um i think becky doesn't it we've we've looked Mm. at policies together and you know some language is quite cold and corporate and cutting and that's fine if you're telling somebody about health and safety legislation or an update to an employment um legislative change but but not when you're talking about putting people at the center of 
something that they're going through, which is a, a significant life event. So you wouldn't talk about that in policies that talk about supporting mental health at work or stress at work. And the same view needs to be taken with this conversation as well. And when we talk about all routes to parenthood, Claire, you've obviously been very involved in conversations around those intended parents who are looking at surrogacy to bring home um, their babies. And there's been some quite glaring omissions there, haven't there? And we've just recently consulted on a a whole piece of research and been involved in a a, a webinar talking about it. Can you just uh, expand a bit on that for me? Yeah, so pretty much... um, reiterating what Becky's already covered you know these these conversations about surrogacy don't seem to be hitting anybody's workplace at the minute they're very few and far between so even the term intended parents being missed off um, any guidance so when we talk about surrogacy we know that um, people who are undergoing surrogacy or using a surrogate are dealt with under employment law with adoption leave but you know the very fact that organizations just say things like when you adopt your child, when you are matched with your child, really just exclude those who are having a biological child via a surrogate. And this isn't just for um, same-sex couples, and it can be deemed as being discriminatory if if you do kind of exclude people. Um, but, you know, heterosexual couples and solo people still have and use surrogates for various reasons for underlying disabilities or health issues or an inability to carry a pregnancy you know surrogacy is is our fertility conversations kind of come into the forefront the surrogacy one is is about I'd probably say 18 months to two years behind and what about the childless not by choice community when we're talking about those mentioned in these types of policy I think it's um it's been really clear that, I mean, we talk about policy and we talk about guidance and what's kind of this needs to be wrapped up in is education and awareness raising. And one of the things we're really keen to educate around is the fact that if somebody's going through fertility treatment in which they might need a policy, it doesn't always end with a baby. And I think that's a really important point to have in there and to recognize and so you might have somebody you might be launching a policy and somebody's already coming to the end of their fertility journey and it hasn't worked for them where is that nod and that signpost that their journey is recognized as well and that there's a recognition of the the emotional um distress that that can cause but also can you signpost to any external organizations that can support that person as well you don't have to have all of the answers within a policy document or guidance or whatever provision you have whether it's on an intranet page but you can nod to it you can recognize it you can hopefully share some stories internally around it to give it a voice but also you can signpost to external support so we always signpost to gateway women which is an organization set up by the amazing jody day just to show that that is an an acknowledgement of this is where this path can lead and and you're not on your own and I think that's a a really really important point to cover. Another point I think it's important to make is around provisions so for flexible working and paid leave which is a really important part of policy or guidance because that will be what people want to know am I going to be entitled to any leave to attend my appointments Um, and will this be paid leave how do I take this Um, so the practical elements and we often get asked what what's the the average what's the average number of days that people are giving and and it's really really hard because it's still quite in its early days so there's not really that data out there to say on average an organization gives 5 days paid leave per cycle 
Um, but we've seen a variation. I don't. I say five because it seems to be the most common that comes up, but there's no yeah. research backing that. However, what I would say is speaking to people going through this and also for organizations as well, one of the most beneficial things you can do is have some flex around that in that you don't have to take it in full day chunks. You can take it in hours and that gives people the freedom then to go to the appointments, which might be every other day, but still attend work rather than ideally if you want to keep somebody at work and they want to keep working for distraction they don't want to be having to book a full day off to attend an appointment where they might be able to take a few hours so I think it's really important to consider what you do around that and and have some flexibility around how you do it and I think finally just to say what we've created for people to download isn't a template you don't just download it pop in your organization details and and off you go we believe that an organization should put their own tone of voice into this. It's something that really should come from the organization. But what we've hopefully have done is, is asked you the right questions. What should you include and how should you do it? And, and suggested some of the things that you might not have thought about. So it gives you that framework for you to build what's right for your organization and for your people. In terms of finance, people say, I'm a small business, I can't afford to do this. Mm. So what Becky said about flexibility is really what we're hoping for and striving for in this conversation you know we're not we're not sitting here saying people should pay five days per cycle or 20 days over the period of employment but it's, it's really important there can be non-financial things done to support people as well so do make sure you check out the show notes because we will put a link for you to be able to download that guidance and we also do offer support in terms of what you might already have developed so again i'll make sure that the link in the show notes of how you can talk further with us if this maybe is your first time hearing this podcast or you've been listening for a while and thinking yeah this is definitely what we want to do next and be thinking about your plans for your fertility conversations in 2024 because this year is nearly over I can't even believe that you know you're listening to this in almost November um but the other thing that we wanted to share as part of this episode is a collaborative piece of work that we've done with Peppy who are sharing research for Fertility Awareness Week and in a moment you're going to hear a conversation with with Peppy about the work they've done but we were involved in that process Becky led the charge so just highlight a bit about our involvement because we're going to be hearing from Peppy about what the research has found. This is a piece of research that's been led by Peppy um, and is looking into the the impact of fertility related issues and also baby loss in the workplace and so it aligns so well with what we are looking to do. Peppy very much focus on the the employee holistic journey to try and hopefully prevent some of these issues from happening, but provide that tailored support. Um, whilst we then support the managers and the the organisation in actually being able to deal with these types of scenarios that may arise. And so it's, it's a really, really interesting um, report. Um, it highlights so many of the things that we already talk about and I'm not going to give too much away because I know it's been released this week but I think it's a really really interesting findings and actually just really emphasizing just how important this topic is for people in the workplace I think for employees who are looking for jobs they're looking at fertility is is that something that's supported within my organization um 
and just the impact that it can have on people whilst they're in their jobs as well. So yeah, it just uh, another stark introduction to what it's like to go through fertility treatment whilst at work. But we do know from the many conversations that we've had that somebody having some stats to use as a business case, if they are talking to others within the organisation, are, are, are really helpful. And so that's why we are always delighted to be involved in there being more proof that this is a conversation because we have said over the previous months, Um, about this being an issue hidden in plain sight. So have a listen to Fran from Pepe and uh, we'll be back with our contact details at the end of this episode. Before we hear from our guest, we just want to mention this season's sponsor, Apricity, which is next generation fertility with a really unique virtual model that uses AI innovation and technology to reimagine fertility care. Now what Apricity do is offer family building benefit solutions to employers, health plans and individual patients and it goes from diagnostic testing right through to full fertility management, including medical treatments such as IVF, egg donation and egg freezing. Apricity helps build families by providing access to the best doctors, technology and unlimited support. So to discover how Apricity can support your employees, just visit apricityfertility.com. So for this second part of this F Word at Work episode that we're sharing with you during National Fertility Awareness Week, I wanted to catch up with Fran Stein, who is the Vice President of Clinical at Pepe, because Pepe for Fertility Week are sharing their latest research. So Fran, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, this piece of research, I mean, visually looks brilliant, but that's not really the the point. The point is that you found some quite stark findings. And I wanted to just start by just getting an idea of what the aim of it. Often during Awareness Week, you know, findings are shared. And this is such a vast topic that, you know, from us at Fertility Matters at Work, we're always really keen to highlight to employers what they need to be thinking about. And there's some really interesting findings that we're going to discuss a bit more. But what was Pepe's objective with doing this piece of research? I think for us is that we, um, we know, obviously we know there's a problem. We know there's a huge problem to access fertility care. Um, but we wanted to see what was going on currently with with the impact of the cost of the living crisis and if that's affecting people um if people are you know still able to have treatment we know again that the nhs um is does not fund you know for everyone so understanding if that's affecting people the the limit on the the capped funding for nhs treatment facility treatment so we were trying to find really looking at the real impact on what it's having in people now and, and looking at meaningful um data in terms of you know who can access treatment and how and obviously what that then means for them at work because most often people are having to juggle this I mean the reality is from your findings and we know from our previous findings people do sadly leave employment because of the stress of it Mm -hmm. but the financial burden as you've said with there being a lack of funding from the NHS is is really significant so your findings showed 40 percent um, of people experiencing at least one issue. I mean, it's really high numbers, isn't it? And we also know, I mean, we'd previously talked about one in six people affected, but you've actually found the impact is greater, saying it's it's two in five. Can you tell us a bit more about the, the, the way and the numbers people are being impacted by this? Yeah, I think the, the thing to say here is that, you know, more and more people are aware of, of fertility problems and fertility issues. And I think where historically people would only determine as a fertility problem meaning that you need to go to a, a clinic for fertility treatment now we're seeing things like people managing 
PCOS at work and endometriosis at work, which will have a later impact on fertility um, and in terms of, you know, painful periods and things like that. So I think this is where this stat's coming from, where people are more aware, they're more educated about what actually is affecting their fertility through the lifespan rather than just, you know, trying to conceive. And one of the things that we're really keen to highlight to employers is that at the point that someone might come and say, I'm having fertility treatment, that like you've just described, their issues with fertility have been going on for a significant period of time before them actually getting a diagnosis to then embark on treatment. And so this is where the whole part of the impact on mental health, the impact on them and how they turn up at work becomes really prominent. And this is why that support at work is so vital, isn't it? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, people often see fertility as a physical thing and it's definitely not it's, it's something that affects everything so the emotional impact so you're not you're not going to be present at work if you're worrying about you know if your embryos have divided in the lab or if you're you know that your period is supposed to come at a certain time so you're not going to be present and able to be your full self if you've got these worries going on and then of course the physical aspects too so yeah I think it's, it's definitely all encompassing. And the findings also found quite high numbers of people taking time off and you know we know absenteeism is really hard to manage from a productivity point of view and this is why we want that awareness piece so plan time off is much easier for a manager to manage it. 64% of people talked about taking time off for fertility treatment in your findings didn't they? Yeah, and it's, and it's a lot. And, you know, I think, you know, I've worked in many clinics where, you know, still to this day, we, we people are writing sick notes for people that need treatment time off for their treatment. And we should be writing sick notes. You know, this is actually quite a, a huge traumatic event that you're going through. And people need to take time off. People need flexible working. Um, but it is quite saving to see, you know, people saying how much time they need off and, and that they're struggling to get the time off when you know it is a healthcare issue and that's another interesting thing that came out because we often have conversations with employers to say well how much time do people need and we know that no two cycles are the same but the average that you found was about 7.25 days for those going through treatment five days for those who have got fertility related issues so it shows that we're, we're really looking at a minimum of, of five and we also talk to employers about thinking about it in hours as well not necessarily days because you might mm -hmm. not need a whole day mightn't you it's having that flex around what you need but I think that was so interesting that you were able to to give that average of the amount of time was it was it higher than you thought it would be I think so I, I you know as you say most people would say around five days but then finding the stat around it went over just over seven days I think often if you think about it, there is, an in, and you're having fertility treatment, there is an intense period of time when you're in and out of a clinic, you're having a surgical procedure at the end of it. So, you know, it's not surprising that people are taking more time off to deal with all of that that's going on. Because you need the recovery both physically and mentally, mm -hmm. don't you? You 100% need to recover from the trauma of what you're going through, as well as the physical part of it. I mean, it's just, you can't heal from one and not the other, really. And I thought what was really interesting was people talking in your findings about how they're looking for this type of support and they're actually considering turning down jobs. A fifth of people agreed to the statement where they were asked, would they consider turning down a job that didn't have fertility support? That is big, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that's going to get bigger, if I'm honest. You know, yeah. most people that are on a fertility journey are in work, you know, so they need that support. They will probably, you know, and I think we've identified that it's the most important thing for them, knowing that they are in a job that's supportive and can 
support them on their journey to hopefully becoming parents we know not everyone will but you know it's the biggest thing and I think it's you can see it's on the rise people want that type of benefit. I think it's really interesting when organisations are looking at what benefits look like and we're having more and more conversations with people asking about benefits because of we're you know we're doing the education the awareness raising and then obviously employees are saying well what what else what else and we know that financial support for actual treatment can be a concern for organizations because it is costly but there's other things like the the emotional support that that peppy offers the knowing that there is this training for managers which is like what we do but do you think that organizations are starting to see the connection with the mental health toll that fertility issues have on a person's productivity and an ability to to just show up at work yeah I think they definitely are I think and it's much more now the awareness is there they're aware of it and they they understand it but I think they're still struggling on on what the solution is um, to support it which is why you know doing this sort of research with with the organizations involved in it and, and getting it out there will will help massively but it's, it's growing and people more, are more aware that there's much more we need to do. And do you think there's the realisation, I mean, we talk about it more and more and we're quite in a bubble, but that fertility rates are on the decline and sperm health is on the decline. And it's great that you've got those male stats as well. And men talking about how they've actually stayed places where there have been support. There's a real issue of loyalty, people feeling um, disloyalty to organisations that don't support them, but loyalty to those that do. Yeah, definitely. And I think that goes hand in hand as well. We've seen a lot more of of men speaking up now about their fertility struggles, their fertility journeys and supporting others. And I think that um, that is definitely changing the landscape. Um, But yeah, there is definitely that there. You know, you will be loyal to an employer if they've looked after you when in your darkest days. So and, and supported you through that. Because so much of this is validation and representation. And and like you say, we're seeing more men speak up, which is amazing. We've still got a long way to go, I think, for men in general talking mm. about their mental health. But, you know, there's more awareness days on the calendar. And I think it's becoming more normalised for men to to talk. And also for men to say, well, you've not asked about me if, if it's a pregnancy loss. We often hear men say they were asked how their partner was if we're talking about a heterosexual relationship. But I really liked as well the inclusivity of what the findings that you've shared has got in terms of the LGBTQ, the LGBTQ plus community as well, because there's a lot of gaps in policies. People aren't feeling that they're being acknowledged and represented, are they? No, exactly. And I think the key thing is, is that fertility affects everyone, you know, and that it's not a one size fits all policy. You know, a, a, a same sex male couple on a surrogacy journey can have very different needs to a heterosexual couple having IVF for the first time. So it's just making sure that you've got policies and things like that, that, you know, can be flexible for different patient groups, but understanding that fertility is not just a woman's problem. Fertility is for everyone and it affects everyone. Yeah, exactly. If you were to say one takeaway that you hope people that, and we'll put links to where people can have a read of the findings in the show notes for this. If you were to say like one takeaway that people listening, because we, we know with the kind of wellbeing agenda, there's quite a lot of overwhelm for those in wellbeing kind of positions or HR, or even if they're kind of managing their employee resource group, to, to manage everything because you know ultimately we want the workplace to be a psychologically safe place and we want people to feel supported but in terms of this fertility conversation what one takeaway would you like people to think about um listen and give the space to listen I think you know there's lots of people out there that still you know see fertility as a taboo topic and because of that um because of that thought process and 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 that 
that it's still in that sort of zone sometimes people don't feel like they can speak up and if they do speak up they feel like they're not being listened to so I think creating a safe space where people can talk and be listened to um, is a first step and it's, it does so much good people might not think it does but it really does it gives people that you know just that voice that they need to be able to use and, and talk about what's going on and someone else in that room will be feeling exactly the same exactly and I think when there's findings and there's, there's hard stats that you can share, if you're trying to get that business case across to maybe stakeholders, it's a really good opportunity to say, look, here we go. Here's some proof. Here's the latest. And I think the findings really do paint a, a, a real picture of all the different people, like we've said, that are affected. So I think it's really exciting and I hope you're feeling very proud. I know a lot of work has gone into it, um, but it's great to be able to share and uh, I bet you're glad that it's out there now. Yeah, we're really pleased. And, you know, I, I hope it does do a lot of good. And even if someone reads it and just thinks, actually, we need to change the way we're doing things. And that one person, it, it makes a difference. All right, Fran, well, thank you for your time. It's been lovely chatting. Thank you. So really interesting hearing from Fran there. And again, we'll put links to where you can find the research in the show notes. And one more thing, because you're going to hear in a moment how you can follow us on our socials. Um, but we just want to draw your attention to a campaign that we're sharing this week and past Fertility Week, because as I said at the start, this isn't just a week-long conversation. It's a 365-day long conversation in our world anyway but we were delighted to be sharing some beautiful illustrations from fertility which we've just been discussing the best way to say because sometimes it can be a bit tricky to say fertility but fertility isn't it how would you best describe what we've been sharing because they are just brilliant I mean we're all big fans if, if you don't know them we'll put their their insta handle in the show notes as well but they just mm. capture so many scenarios that we've all lived and breathed don't they yeah, they, they have a brilliant way of just bringing to life in one still image what it feels like. And I think that's the power. And we've followed them for a long time on Instagram. And yeah, there's so many images that people just resonate with. If you're in the trenches and you are going through this, you will nod along. And we've been delighted to collaborate with them because what it's allowed us to do is to illustrate what it's like to go through fertility treatment whilst at work so whether it's that you're hiding your injections in a sandwich box in the fridge and then having to inject in the toilets whether you're trying to get yourself ready to go and have a conversation with your manager about it but you're worried that it might be career suicide whether you are um, having to look for another job because you feel you can't cope in your current job because you're not being supported and what we hope through this campaign that it's going to create lots of noise um, and actually just get people to really think differently about this and and to think about actually these are some of the very real issues that our community are facing on a, a day-to-day basis. And shareability as well and just the language that I know that we've kind of created around the images. Claire I was reading some of what you'd written and I think we often say this you know we're reliving our own experiences in this work that we do and we we're really sensitive around duty of care to those that we encourage to share their stories but also the the emotional toll this takes on us because we are all former patients and whilst we all have our children now it does still take us back doesn't it and I could I could really sense that in some of the narrative that you you'd written yeah it's funny you should say that because I was going to mention that after Becky finished speaking when I was writing them I had to come back quite a few times because they were quite triggering and because some of those the sandwich box thing didn't happen to me but the crying in the toilets happened to me 
the speaking to your manager ha- happened to me. So, you know, Becky's absolutely right. She's spot on with the, the capture, how, how Fertility ch- capture that in just Amazing. one image is just beautiful. And, and yeah, I, I think they have a lot of power. I know they're just images with just a little bit of text. And then obviously the the narrative to go alongside it to give some more information about that situation. But they're, they're just absolutely amazing. So hopefully there'll be something that you can go and check out. Like I say, the details of how you can follow us on our socials and, and visit our website are all coming up in a moment. But we're trying to give you as many different ways, be it the podcast, be it the, the guidance document, be it these social images that you can do something about this conversation. So we really hope you found this useful. Um, if I can ask that you are a fan of a podcast and you want to share this with colleagues, please do. And also if you can subscribe and rate and review, that really helps others know that this is worth a listen. So thank you. And we look forward to you joining us again. Do follow us on our socials at Fertility Matters at Work on LinkedIn and Instagram and on X with Fert Matters Work. You can access our free resources, including our white paper and policy pointers via our website, fertilitymattersatwork.com, where you can also sign up to our newsletter to stay up to date on our free webinars.